Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Awe Stories. Each week we speak with some beautiful souls about self-care, radical self-love, and the practices that have led them to transform into being heroes of their own lives. I hope you leave each episode feeling inspired and motivated in your own journey of self-discovery, ready to create greater presence and moments of wonder and awe in your everyday life. Hey guys, thanks so much for being with us today. This week, we get to speak to Leanne from Epic Yoga, and she shares some amazing practices, some profound life stories, and also her beautiful story of how she came into the practices of yoga. September is International Yoga Awareness Month, so she is one of our featured guests speaking about yoga and how yoga has brought transformation to her life. For all of the resources and links that are talked about in this episode, you can visit our website at www.abreathoffreshaw.com. Thanks so much for being with us today, guys. Hey, Leanne, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, absolutely, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I am a certified Baptiste 500-hour teacher. I've been doing yoga for about 22 years. Um, I am the owner and chief of possibility of Epic Yoga in Brentwood, um, which is really a space for transformation and yoga and growth. I absolutely love that you call it the chief of possibility. What a cool name. (laughs) How did that arise? Why, Why chief of possibility? You know, it's funny is that the way that the um, company is structured, technically, I couldn't be an owner. Um, And my lawyer said, you can call yourself anything. (laughs) (laughs) Officially, you can't be the owner. And I was like, fine, I'll be the chief of possibility. I love it. That's so beautiful. (laughs) And so with Epic Yoga, you practice the Baptiste method. Can you talk and share a little bit more about that for those who are not familiar? Sure. The Baptiste method is... A, it's power yoga. It's done in a heated room to about 92 to 95 degrees and with some level of humidity in the room. Um, really, the practice is, is a way for you to access more vitality, power, and freedom, both on your mat, off your mat. And so when did you start practicing Baptiste or when did you start practicing yoga maybe is the more mm-hmm. general question. <laughs> I started practicing, I kind of wandered into a yoga class at a gym in Solana Beach in 1995. And I didn't really know what it was and it happened to be an Ashtanga class and unbeknownst to me, I happened to be practicing with one of the 12 certified Ashtanga teachers in the world. And practiced there um, for several years, loved it. And then I moved to Philadelphia and I remember looking for a yoga studio and it was like 1997. So yoga was still pretty early on the East Coast. <laughs> um, and there was like the best of Philadelphia magazine came out and some guy with a bandana was on the front of it. And I remember going back to my Ashtanga teacher, Dom, and saying like, hey, do you know this guy? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm sure it's fine, but it's not Ashtanga. So I, I, in Philly, I would go into this class um, And it was when Barron was really just starting out in Philadelphia. He was renting space at a gym on the main line and he would teach classes, which were great. And um, I loved it. But at the time, I really wasn't able to fully embrace it. Um, I was still like an Ashtangi through and through. I did a teacher training with Beryl Bender Birch and then Manju Joyce happened to be in town. So I started practicing with Manju 
And then I ended up in India studying with Patabi Joyce. Um, and then for years, probably about another 15 years, I, I did Ashtanga and I would do trainings and teacher trainings with Tim Miller um, and Karen Haberman and Richard Freeman and David Swenson and all kinds of different people. Um, and then we ended up moving to uh, Shaker Heights, Ohio, and there was a Baptiste studio. So I knew that there was like something to this Baptiste thing, but I didn't quite know what it was. Um, so I'd pop into that studio periodically and I would read Baron's books and he had a CD podcast thing out at the time. Um, and I knew that there was something to it because I would go to a class and it was kind of like psychotherapy and yoga combined. So it gave me the element of transformation and the yoga practice. Yeah. And I think that that's a commonality that most people who have experienced a Baptiste class would totally say that it includes the um, encouragement, the empowerment, the wisdom, along with the really, really badass practice of yoga and moving your body in a beautiful way. Right. I mean, I think the Baptiste practice for me, it was like I, when I came back from India, my intention was to open a yoga studio and I signed a couple of leases, but something kept getting in the way. And uh, one year after we moved to Nashville, my husband hadn't bought me a Christmas gift and it was like Christmas Eve um, because he had started a company. So he was really busy. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he's a bad guy. Right. And, and I ended up saying like, hey, honey, like he was at a jewelry store and I was like, this is crazy. Just send me to like a yoga thing. I'll be happy with that. And so I ended up going to Baron's first teacher training that I did with Baron. Um, and after that teacher training, within a year, I opened Epic. So what I say is that although I had gone to like four or five teacher trainings before I went to Barron's, um, there was something about the Baptiste methodology that allowed me to get whatever it was that was stopping me from getting what I really wanted in my life out of the way so that then I could do and, you know, open the studio and do the things I wanted to do. So getting really unstuck. Yeah. And that seems to be what I hear from my students. Yeah. So you shared a little bit with me before about um, working and your travel to work before you went to India mm. and how you really had dreaded kind of going into work or just that the entire process of that. Would you share that um, experience with our listeners? Of course. So I had a corporate job and what most people would consider a really great job um, and I would find as I was driving on the freeway to the way to work is that I felt like I wanted to vomit and I was 27 and single and living in the city. And so I knew that I better not be pregnant. <laughs> and then I noticed that the days that I did yoga with Manju first before going into the studio or going into the office, I didn't feel like I was going to vomit. So I decided that there must be something to this yoga practice. And I decided to take, um, I, I asked for time off. They wouldn't give it to me. So I quit my corporate job, <laughs> put everything in storage and left and went to India to study with Patabi Joyce. And so when you quit, uh -huh. what were the feelings that you, or the thoughts that you were kind of navigating at that time? You know, I think I was, I, maybe I was just young and naive and didn't know better or didn't care or was at that like window so of opportunity out. in my life that 
I knew I like I had a really bad client at the time, a very difficult client. We were doing um, a surgical clinical trial, and one of the people who was working for me was committing fraud on the protocol. So it was kind of a complete train wreck. <laughs> and it, like the client wouldn't listen to me when I tried to bring it to him because the guy was a total schmoozer. Yeah. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, and Someone's so I've got to give, right. Something had to give and it wasn't going to be my health. Yeah. So I, I just decided, you know what? Some people take maternity leave and you give them leave. I'm not ready to get pregnant right now. And I'm asking for unpaid leave. I'll make sure everything's covered. And I would like to go study. And Patabi Joyce was like 85 at the time. So I didn't know, or he's in his eighties, early eighties, maybe. Um, and I didn't know who, you know, how much time he would have. So it was just kind of a matter of time for me and a matter of opportunity. I had a ton of frequent flyer miles from traveling all over. And so it seemed to work out. Yeah. So fast forward, your husband sends you to Baptiste level one and mm -hmm. you come back and open the studio. Yeah. The funny thing was, is I had never been away from my daughter and she was four at the time when I went to level one. And I went to level one, I had a great experience and I was getting ready to come home. I woke up at like six in the morning and was packing up and someone said, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going home. They said, no, you're not. I said, what do you mean? They said, there's a tsunami coming straight to the island. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> oh my God. And it was in Hilo, Hawaii. And the tsunami was set to come right to Hilo. So for me, it was a chance of like, wow, what did I do? I just left and I did this thing for myself and I haven't done these things for myself in such a long, you know, ever since she was born. But it was an opportunity to really look at by taking time to nurture myself, to develop myself and to continue that process of inquiry and discovery that I was able to really be a better mom. I was able to be more present in my relationship. Um, and then I did come home and I went right to level two. And then I did art of assisting through the, the Baptist organization. Um, and then my husband and I were actually trying to have another baby and things weren't going quite as easily as we might have, have liked or planned. And so I called him one day and I said, I'm done. Like I'm opening a yoga studio. I'm not going to do IVF anymore. I'm done. And he was like, we can talk about this when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still at work, sweetie. Yeah. I was like, no, we don't even, he was like out of town. I was like, no, we don't even need to talk about it. Like I'm good. We're going to open a yoga studio. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So bold and so empowered. And so just, it sounds like you were just filled with this like fire to just step into your calling, right? Right. And I, you know, I, from the time I got home from India, I wanted to open a studio. So it was really just a matter of feeling that this practice could help so many people. And at the time I opened, nobody was really doing this kind of a practice in Nashville. Yeah. And so what are your practices now and how have they let you step into your power even more? Uh, right now I'm in the middle of Baptiste Fit to Lead, which is a year long leadership program with people from all around the world. And so it's taking my level of leadership, my level of commitment to the practice to an entirely elevated space. Um, so right now I'm practicing daily, I'm meditating daily. Um, I'm also finding more joy and balance to balance out just the busyness of running a studio. So I just took sailing lessons and finished those. That's so cool. I know, I've been paddleboarding all summer. I bought paddleboards at the beginning of summer and my goal was 
to be out on the lake twice a week. That's awesome. The lakes around here in Nashville or have you gone other places too? Both. So we bought inflatable boards. So we've taken them. Um, I took it to California. I took it to Lake Tahoe this summer. Uh, and just the lakes here are great. And we went to Wisconsin with them too. So fun. <laughs> I love it. So how have your practices supported you throughout your life's journey? What are some like pinnacle moments or key moments where you've really utilized these practices to ground in during a really difficult season? Four months after my daughter was born, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And so I used my practice just to keep me present and in the moment. Um, after he was cured, he had a relapse, which was pretty major, and he had to have stem cell transplants and high-dose chemo. And we utilized every single alternative healing method and practitioner we could find. For me, um, having a young child kept me very much in the moment too, but my practice and my breath kept me present when everything around me was kind of crumbling and everyone was freaking out saying, oh my God, is he going to live? And I was like, I don't know, but right now in this moment, all is well. Yeah. So I think that moment to moment awareness that the breath helps to cultivate, that the yoga helps to cultivate is just so essential. And like for me, is it's a matter of like, how do I do what I do on my mat, off my mat? Because it's great to be able to do something on your mat, but it really means nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> talk to me more about that because people will say this, like, you know, I mean, Sean Korn, I think is, uh, has like the, nonprofit, right? Off the mat and into the world. Um, so what does that mean? Because I think for people who aren't even practicers of yoga or are just starting off that that may just seem like such a intangible concept or like something that's so foreign that I don't even know how to do that. Right. And I think there's people practicing yoga that we wouldn't call it yoga necessarily. Exactly. So I think for me, the, the off the mat into the world, that concept is really like, who are you showing up as in your day-to-day -day life? Are you present with the person checking you out at Target? Like at the register, not like looking at you at Target. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like, are you really present with your kids or are you reading a magazine about yoga and dreaming about being somewhere else? It's about really being more present everywhere in your life. Uh, and, and acting in a way that is in alignment with that. So if you say that you're a yogi and you have the sticker on your car and whatever else, that's great. But are you like practicing ahimsa or are you texting while driving? So I think it's, yeah, I, you know, so I think that it's, it's really about how do you take the practice off your mat? And I say this to my students all the time. Like, I don't really care if you can do a handstand. Sure, that's great. And you might get some Instagram likes. But I'm much more concerned if you can stand on your own two feet and have a difficult conversation with your boss or a coworker or your husband or your child. Speaking That's much your more truth interesting. Setting your boundaries, saying the yeses and the noes that you need to for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about that in Baptiste Yoga. We call it, you know, it's like true north alignment is what we look for. And we build every pose around this concept of true north alignment. And I think learning to truly stand in an empowered way in a physical sense then gives you access to do it in a psychological sense, in a spiritual sense, in so many other ways. So you talked about ahisma. Ahisma means do no harm, right? Right, right. So what are more ways that you've invited ahisma into your practices or into your life? 
Uh, well, I, like I started practicing when I was 25 and I'm 47 right now. So a way that I practice ahimsa is um, just respecting my body and where it's at at any given day. You know, my, my practice has changed in 22 years. Um, some poses I used to love to do now, I, like I don't need to do them. I have nothing to prove. And it's more about how do I make sure that I can practice for a lifetime? Yeah. Some, yeah. Some of I our can students, totally relate to that. We have students in their 70s and their late 60s. One of my teachers is in his 60s. And so it's really looking at how do we keep the sense of vitality and, and growth for a lifetime, not just, you know, great if you can do kapatasana and touch your head to your feet in a back bend, but what's that doing to your knees and your lumbar? If your alignment's not great. Yeah. How is your overall quality of life? Right. So it's really, you know, ahimsa on the mat and then also even ahimsa as far as if someone says, oh, I have to practice every single day. Yeah. Is there really gentleness with that? Right. And even with me, with me practicing um, every day right now, is there's also parameters around it. Like it's not a full 90-minute practice every day. It might be a modified practice if I've got things going on in my physical body or if I've had a really busy day or I'm not feeling well. Yeah, I can totally relate to what you're saying. I remember taking my first, uh, and it was an intense vinyasa class. I I probably should have... uh, I probably should have known better after I had Kinley to not step into a intensive vinyasa class right back. But I was like, man, I'm a badass. I just gave birth. Like surely I can handle this vinyasa class and like left class and like had totally thrown my back out. I think from like not having abs because for how many months have I been building this baby and was just totally not in touch or aware of, or even connected to. I remember sitting there thinking in class, like, wow, where are they like, I can't even find them right now in, in tight, like the proprioception, like the, where is this located in my body? I couldn't even find it and locate my gas to support me and left without that quality of life, like left having to go to a chiropractor and do other things. And as a result, I have had to significantly reflect on what does my practice need to look like for me at this point in my life, knowing that this doesn't have to be a forever thing, that my strength will grow, my abs will come back, like my core will gain strength again, but that um, it's also totally, totally okay to just be gentle with myself in this space. Right. And I think that that is a message that sometimes doesn't get sent, especially as women, like we're told to, you know, gosh, the messages about our bodies, I could go on for days about that, but um, but just told things that, that do harm, um, and that make us think that we need to challenge ourselves or compete within class with other people, not just compete within our own practice, but look around and do what everyone else is doing, even if that's not indicated for our body. Right. Yeah. And you know, the strange thing about Epic is that I think we have such a diverse group. Like we don't have everybody in matching head to toe, perfectly branded athletic wear. Um, We've got people of different shapes, sizes, as I said, different ages, but it's really about whatever you can do on your mat is great. And all the time we even tell beginners is like, if you can't make it to a basics class, just come to a regular class. You'll figure it out. Like you figured out how to walk when you were one or so. So you'll figure this out too. Yeah. And so there's fear there, right? Like there's fear of 
novelty um, right. of, of trying something new with our bodies that we haven't experienced before. I think it's anything new in our life. So yes. I think if you, you get to a certain point of success in your world, be it financial, be it physical, be it whatever, people don't want to make a fool of themselves. So they're so afraid to come into a space because they think everybody else knows what they're doing and they don't. And we had one student who like sat in the parking lot for a year before she'd finally come in. Sweet student. I know. And she just did teacher training last year, which is so sweet. And she was in her 60s. That takes so much courage and so much strength to be able to step into that. How amazing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's so cool. Yeah. And I, you know, I just can identify with that so much. We just released an episode on um, kids yoga and Ashley talks a lot about the novelty of like a lot of the things that they do in class and that when you get adults in the kids training that they play Uh and the play seems like things that they haven't done in years. And so they're like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Wow. I forgot I can do these things with my body and it feels good. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think that's why even people love inversions and handstands, like if a handstand safely approached, right, or any inversion, because it gives them a sense of lightness and a sense of joy. It literally flips, you know, the energy in the body so that you're taking, you've seen things from an entirely new perspective. And standing on your hands, most people think they can't do it, or a large percentage of people think they can't do it. When they find out they can, then this whole world opens up and it's like, well, what else can I do that I thought I couldn't? Yes. I love that. What else can I do that I thought I couldn't? And how often do we not put ourselves in situations where we're even just willing to try and just willing, right? Right. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing I think. So when somebody comes in and is willing to step in, willing to try a class, that then everything else opens up because if you can fall out of a balance pose and not die, well, what else can you fall out of and not die. Like you can maybe start that business you've always wanted to do and you're not going to die even if it doesn't work. Yes. It just creates this sense of possibility and openness in all areas. Yep. Yeah. So how would you describe your life at this point? What does life look like between business? I know you talked a lot about the amazing leadership program that you're a part of with Baptiste and how that's been influencing you. What other things and what other descriptors would you use for your life at this point? <laughs> um, well, we're, we are beginning teacher training on this weekend. <laughs> so I'm looking at my office right now and I would say chaotic based on the piles of books and materials <laughs> sitting on the ground. Um, but I think it's at a really peaceful state. It's at a state of, of balance. It's at a state of joy. Um, I don't feel like I have anything I have to prove. I have goals and I have intentions and I have impact I want to make, but it's not from a place of, of competition or needing to, um, I've said many times to my students, like some of my most meaningful classes and students I've worked with have been one-on-one. So I don't need a class of 500 people. I don't need to have the biggest Instagram account. I just want to make a difference with the people that I reach and the people that I resonate with. Yeah. Like I get that I might not be for everybody and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. And getting to be okay with that. Talk about that process. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's, it's, um, it's a, a growing edge all the time. And I think after struggling and, and doing more and more, you come to the point of like, well, gosh, what's all the busyness really getting me? Um, this year, 
after just having like a couple of years that were just really, really busy and a lot of different things going on, which was all really great stuff. I kind of came to the point of like, I just need more joy. I need to really be able to appreciate my time with my family. And so what if I don't get a, a post out on time or so what if I don't get an email out? I just need to take some time and really live. Um, I think for me, one of the things is I've got some neck issues that uh, got to a, a point this year where I needed to go in and see somebody and see what they thought about. It. And I thought like, wow, this is a big deal maybe. And I really wanted to enjoy life. Um, so this summer, it was my goal was to paddleboard twice a week. And so most of the time I was out on the lake with our daughter and we dragged my husband out there and, <laughs> um, you know, he learned to love it. But it was just about taking that little bit of time. Two hours can feel like an eternity. And you come back and after time away, just you're just refreshed. You're just regrouped. It's so easy to get caught up in like the, the busyness of life that you miss like that deeper purpose. And those smaller moments that are so meaningful and have so much like rich information and rich feeling and just being, yeah. Yeah. So if we go back through and talk about like really significant events in your life, like your husband getting diagnosed with cancer and walking with him through that and being a partner with him in that process, what do you think the, the overall meaning of that was for you? You talked about reframing a lot of the negative to positive. Um, what other things do you think like that lesson taught you? Gosh, I, you know, I think it, um, my dad died when I was 18, very suddenly in a car accident. And that taught me like life is precious. Like you have to love the people that are here now and don't wait. Um, and it also taught me like to be up to something bigger. I remember being in college and grad school, like my friends would be out wanting to go party. And I was like, no, I'm going to go study. Like I wanted to do something more. Um, and so I think that even leading up to that, that when my husband was sick, one of the things I remember because our daughter was so young um, and, you know, there was a time where we really didn't know what the outcome would be. Yeah. But really making like a lifetime of memories in the moment. That's beautiful. Can you share some ways that you were able to practice that? Yeah, we, um, we had to make a decision as to his, it was right before Christmas and we were scheduled to go to California and his doctor said, you know what, you need to cancel your trip and you need to start chemo on Monday morning. And we kind of looked at each other and said, okay. And we went home and he said, no, we're going to go on the trip. And we went. And during that time, I was able to use my research and drug development background to figure out who the thought leaders were and the kind of cancer that he had and to make appointments with them. So we were able to set those up. We were able to celebrate our anniversary and go see my family and go to Mexico and spend time in California. We took a ton of video and tons of pictures, but it was time for us to really just kind of like hunker down and, and pull in as a family. Yeah. Uh, and from that space, we were able to, just be prepared for what was coming. And it also gave us time to really pick our, his treatment better because I think had we taken, you know, the, the first opinion that was start chemo Monday, like maybe we wouldn't have had 
the, the, I don't know, more data to look at what was the right treatment to do. And, you know, with, with a recurrence, the number of options you have go down dramatically. Yes. So for him, if the second round of chemo didn't work, then he wouldn't necessarily have a third round option. So the likelihood of success was greater with stem cell transplants and high dose chemo, which, you know, they basically take you to death's door and then hope to bring you back. Yeah. So it sounds like you learned some really, really rich and meaningful things as a family. And then how have those things then carried forward into level one, level two, art of assisting? How have they influenced the yoga practices and created even more meaning out of that? I think for me is it comes out most of my teacher training because I help people look at the experiences in their lives and I help them look at the richness and the value of the lessons they've learned. And so rather than being a victim who's just had things happen to them, I can help them reframe the situations and look at the benefit. And I think that if someone's gone through something, they're better able to relate to a wider segment of the population. And um, just greater compassion. Yeah. Right. Right. I've had someone walk into my studio and say, my husband just died and, and who had cancer. And I was like, okay, welcome. Roll your mat out. We're so glad you're here. Yeah. Like it, it didn't phase me and I didn't get caught in the drama. I've had students lose babies. I've had students lose spouses. I've had students lose children and just horrible, horrible things. But I think that, that it's able to create a safe space and know that they can get through it. And then also, I think, you know, the, the big thing, and it's, it's just such a gift is like the practice teaches you that you can be with your body and the sensations and the feelings, all that come with all of those different situations that you describe, right. Mm-hmm. In a safe and healing way, um, where it doesn't have to become overwhelming or completely just sink you. Well, I think you have to embrace your emotions. Like if we're going to cycle through emotions. And if you don't feel them, then you get to feel it as a tumor later in your life, perhaps. Yes. So really helping people feel, I think is a big part of how the practice works and, and how I try to, to take it to that next level for people and just to make it okay. Like, yeah, it's okay. Great. So what you cried, it's not a big deal. You're not the first one to cry here. (laughs) You won't be the last one to cry here. Right. So if they came to a Baptiste class, what could they expect as like a a general orientation to it? Mm. It, I mean, they're going to come in and people are going to talk to them, which can freak out a lot of people. (laughs) Um, You know, I think we've had people come in and they're like, why are these people talking to me? But our community is, is very friendly and that's, you know, it's, we're all in it together. And it's kind of like, we're, we're taking this journey together. A Baptiste practice is really about, looking at what you're a yes for, like, what do you want to create and really setting your vision, your drishti on that, and then just making it happen. And it's also about giving up what you must. So what do you need to let go of? Like maybe the old stories or thoughts or positions that have kind of kept you stuck and then just coming from ready now. It's like even how we invite all students into any class, like you're ready now, like however you are is perfect. Great. Come in. Um, we had a guy come in with an oxygen tank one day and we're like, yeah, you're here. Come in. Great. So I think the Baptiste practice, it's, it's a powerful flow. We start out with sun salutations. We work through 
some postures for vitality. We go into a series on equanimity. And then we go into um, the balance of the grounding poses, which really help to get you in your feet and in your foundation. And then from there, in that grounded sense, you can find a new possibility in your body. Um, we move into some back bending poses to help to open the body. And then we've got some hip openers uh, and then uh, inversions and then some deep release poses. So it's, it's a balance 11 series in the whole practice. Practice can take usually our average class is 60 minutes. Sometimes we'll put a 90 minute on the schedule. Some are 75, but most of them are 60 minutes. They'll sweat and they'll leave feeling really wrung out and cleansed. And so if they wanted to begin today, where would they start with some of these practices or what would you recommend that they step into first? I would say just come like you're ready now. <laughs> and I would just say, you know, go to the website, sign up. We have a new student special and come try it. And, you know, we don't do like a free class because we know that after one class, you're not going to have an idea of how it feels in your body. And so after a month, you'll have an idea like, hey, does this feel good or not? Am I sleeping better? Am I more positive? Am I feeling less anxious? Am I feeling, you know, what, what's coming up for them? How because has it allowed them to shift? Exactly. Exactly. Well, Ian, it's been so beautiful to talk with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to spend with us. Where can our listeners learn more about you? They can check us out on our website, epicyogacenter.com. I also have a personal website, leannewolke.com. Um, you know, if they want more information about the Baptiste organization, they can go to baronbaptiste.com or, or the Baptiste Foundation. Either one, the Baptiste Foundation does nonprofit classes and is also um, part of what created Africa Yoga Project. So it's doing some really good work out in the communities. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. That was Leanne from Epic Yoga. She is just full of amazing wisdom. I highly recommend you visiting a yoga class with her if you have some time and are located here in Nashville. As always, you can find our show notes and resources that have been mentioned throughout the episode on our website at www.abreathoffreshaw.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Instagram at A Breath of Fresh Awe. Tune in next week for our next episode. Also have to give a huge shout out to our Nashville-based musician, Brendan Mayer, performing Starting With You. Both him and his father, Peter Mayer, have a new record out called Long Story Short. It's available for purchase on iTunes this week. Please go and look for it. It is absolutely amazing. Something about the way the empty space between us Don't stay empty long like the horizon Can't stop colliding the sea and the sky Even if I wanted to, couldn't get away The pull is just too strong, can't quite explain it You've got a way that makes me feel like I I've been flying blind through the darkest night Oh, but you're like Seeing my first sunrise I never Had anything to lose I couldn't just let go Forget I ever had I never I never had to choose Between wanting what I have Knowing I want
now I do Starting with you Looking at my days I see a easy, crazy, faded face or two Who I was, who I've been Who don't want to be again Every time you kiss me Girl, you go and feel the empty in me Oh, I never Had anything to lose I could have just let go Forget I ever had I never I never had to choose Between wanting what I have Knowing I want it back but now I do, starting with you. But now 